Black and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. Thanks for joining us today. Um, In this week, this is actually the third and final installment that my students have been working on all semester. So today you get to hear the third group that have been working on a radio show related to the content that we've been learning in my media and politics course at the University of Virginia's College at Wise. Today's group um, are going to be talking about the lack of broadband access, as well as how that lack of broadband access can impact a region's politics, or perhaps it can't. Uh, So they're going to be speaking with two guests specifically on how the project is going and why it matters. But before I turn the air over to them, I wanted to give you a quick update about a story that I have been covering pretty regularly on this show. For many of you who know me personally, you know that um, a couple years ago, I began a petition to relocate a Confederate monument in the middle of Abingdon, the one that exists at the Washington County Courthouse. Well, if you've gone past the courthouse recently, you've noticed that monument is no longer there. It was moved, and the reason that it was moved is due to uh, courthouse construction needs. So this week, I wanted to share with you a little bit of information about what's happening at the courthouse. You'll notice that there's a lot of construction going on. Um, If you ever drive past there, you'll see lots of trucks and lots of movement. Lots of things are happening. There was an article that came out in the Bristol paper this week specifically about what's going on with the Board of Supervisors and the courthouse. And it looks like this week, on Tuesday, they decided to vote for going ahead and moving forward with the renovations and the expansion of the courthouse, but they're a little bit over budget. And by a little bit, I mean $6 million over budget. Um, So if you're interested in keeping up with this information, the Bristol Herald Courier is actually a great place to go find additional information about um, what's been going on in Washington County with the courthouse. Joe Tennis, uh, one of the reporters there, has done a fabulous job updating everyone about really what's happening and, and what we can expect next. So the, the latest from him and from the paper is that uh, they did finally vote on approving those costs, but the costs are significantly higher than what they thought they were going to be paying. Okay. Enough from me. Now, let's check out what my students have been doing this semester. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in today. This is Broadband, how connectivity is impacting politics and education in the central Appalachian region. My name is Samuel Watkins, and I am a government major with a concentration in political science and German minor at the University of Virginia's College at Wise. I am joined today by my co-hosts Bryson Robertson and Emma Fox. Bryson is majoring in not only administration of justice, but also government with a concentration in political science at the University of Virginia's College of Wise. Emma Fox will be studying national security and foreign affairs at Virginia Tech. Today we discuss the lack of broadband internet in the central Appalachian region and what is currently being done to solve this issue, as well as how broadband access may impact the political involvement and leanings of people in an area. Further. We discuss the importance of broadband connectivity for students in the education system. Today we are joined by Clerk of Circuit Court Jack Kennedy. Mr. Kennedy is currently in his fourth term as Clerk of Circuit Court of Wise County, Virginia. 
Most recently, his office is utilizing blockchain in the recordation of 40-year title histories for Wise County real estate properties. In 1997, Mr. Kennedy founded Southwestern Virginia Technology Council and recently worked with that same organization this year to bring hundreds of SpaceX Starlink broadband accounts to Southwestern Virginia student residences. Mr. Kennedy holds a Virginia license to practice law for 40 years, two undergraduate degrees, and three master degrees, as well as a certificate in international law from the University of London. During your tenure in the central Appalachian region, what improvements have you seen regarding broadband access in this area? Well, over the course of a quarter of a century, I can still remember dial-up in many instances. And the uh, first vestiges of uh, broadband coming into the region, Uh, one of those was Naxis.com. And it's now defunct, but it was the precursor to a lot of activity in uh, the Wise County, Dickinson County, Abington, Washington County area that uh, really brought about greater awareness in the uh, mid to uh, late 1990s. Sometime in the uh, early part of the 21st century, Comcast began offering cable modem. And uh, cable modem was a real boost to a lot of households that had cable access and wanted the opportunity. Nonetheless, there's some shortcomings with uh, cable, and that is, uh, for example, every day about 3.30, 4 o'clock, it bogged down because children were coming home from school and getting on uh, and using the width of the whatever broadband there was of the cable modem. So the more people you had using it, typically the slower it ran. Now, with the um, advent of uh, within the region of Point Broadband, Scott County Telephone, and a a Gigabeam, and a host of others, uh, it has become more widespread with the uh, influx of literally hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, uh, in Virginia over the past few years. We've seen uh, attempts at uh, enormous expansion of uh, dark fiber, and uh, that is in partnership with local governments, and it's very expensive. For example, in Wise County, I've seen estimates um, for connections in some areas of rural, very rural and remote Wise County, between $3,000 per household to over eight thousand dollars per household, which um, in my judgment is um, a bridge too far, but significant amounts of money are being put into it. And certainly there are arguments on both sides of the equation as to the value of doing so. The, The broadband, the dark fiber will be there hopefully for years and years and years. Nonetheless, I have taken a leap of faith with space-based broadband. Space-based broadband can be connected per household at about $650 now with the recent price increase. And, uh, you know, an ongoing monthly fee, which is uh, somewhat similar to what uh, the uh, either the cable companies or the broadband companies can provide. I would also submit that at some point in the near-term future that it's going to be faster than fiber simply because of the routers and uh, data center switching, 
whereas the constellation on orbit at only 350 miles, give or take a mile or two uh, in space, it cuts the latency. The uh, constellation acting as one uh, is communicating or will be communicating more frequently by laser communication. The data packets will be carried by laser at light speed and uh, will be faster than anything on Earth. In fact, the stock exchanges between New York and Chicago are going to use Starlink for that purpose to reduce the amount of daily cash slosh between trades between the two points, which will amount to millions. And it will eventually interact with uh, New York and London for the same purpose. The daily slosh between these markets, fractions of seconds mean dollars. So um, in this area, we've seen, uh, again, uh, over the past quarter of a century, uh, to summarize, stepped increases from um, dial-up to DSL to cable modems to uh, fiber and now space-based broadband. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Let's talk legislation. Bill SB 724 was signed by Governor Gwen Youngkin going into effect this summer. How will this bill improve broadband access? Well, first, let me give you a little background. At the height of the uh, pandemic lockdown in March of 2020, I was contacted by a friend and I've known his family through multiple generations uh, who had a child without any broadband at home. Uh, he uh, uh, lived in uh, the Coburn area uh, where I'm originally from. And uh, he was having to drive his child to McDonald's or the library to do their homework very frustrating. And he was one of uh, hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands within the region, millions probably across America. So uh, those that know me know that I am a uh, space technology aficionado and have been since I was a teenager, and I just get worse with age. Nonetheless, you know, I've met with Elon Musk multiple times over the years. I know people at SpaceX. So I reached out to them and got a, a little nudge of the door opened by Senator Mark Warner, who happens to be chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and uh, Congressman Don Beyer, who happens to be the chair of the House uh, Science Space Subcommittee. And uh, as a result of that, we had a discussion and SpaceX offered the first beta education partnership with Wise County, which resulted in 45 households being offered broadband by the Starlink constellation. And uh, that has been ongoing since uh, January of uh, 2021. So it's now in its second year. And since that time, uh, the number of accounts have proliferated from the initial 45 to 360, with 220 more in the queue for implementation, uh, hopefully before the end of the year. I expect another uh, 100, 120 here very shortly. Nonetheless, uh, as Wise County's director of technology uh, for the public school system began to reach out to parents uh, who um, he identified that children that did not have broadband in their homes at all because they were intensely trying to set up these hotspots for children to go to to do their homework. I mean, they were remote learning, period. So as a result of that, he had all sorts of addresses. And uh, Scott Kaiser is his name. I cannot commend Scott Kaiser enough uh, because he has kept a log of every single child without broadband in Wise County. 
So as we began to look to implement it in other counties throughout the coal fields of Virginia, namely Dickinson, Russell, Wise, Caswell, uh, and others that we talked to uh, who opted not to do it for whatever reason, but uh, there was uh, an immediate recognition that, gosh, not everyone is doing what the technology director of Wise County Schools is doing, and that is collecting these addresses. So Virginia, <clears throat> over the past year, has been developing a broadband map and how, you know, with hire consultants and people to identify. But what better way to really reach the generation that is coming forward than to identify children without broadband in our public school system? Uh, because right now, whether or not they need remote learning, it is statistically proven by multiple studies that students who have broadband in the home will probably do a half a letter grade better than those students without because they have that research tool at home. They can do additional homework. They can uh, uh, read more literature that will involve whatever topic of study they have. So it became a natural to approach uh, Senator Todd Pillion to put in a bill to require it. Now, we're not gonna see that much in Fairfax County or Arlington or Alexandria or Richmond uh, the major inner city metropolitan areas. There may be a few in inner cities, but certainly not on the scale that we're going to see in rural southwestern Virginia, south side in the Delmarva Peninsula out on the eastern shore. But it is certainly going to be a supplement to a base map for broadband in Virginia. Now, I looked at it to assist Starlink, but it's going to assist the fiber companies and where they go and and what priorities they place as, as well. Uh, everyone will be looking, if you're a fiber company, uh, to get more bang from your buck uh, by satisfying more customers. If they're school children without broadband in any significant community, certainly they're gonna be targeted first. But having the data to the Department of Education and to the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development is going to be a windfall on an annual basis over the next three years, 22, 23, 24. Then the bill expires. It could be extended, but hopefully it will not be needed. Uh, if um, the billion dollar effort in Virginia proves to be beneficial and these folks are identified, uh, they should be addressed. If not, it can be extended. But that's the extent of the bill is to have each uh, school district, each school board, to identify K through 12 students without broadband in the home. That would not include their names. It only includes the 911 address of the house so that uh, they can be mapped and identified as an area or home in need of broadband. Thank you, Mr. Kennedy. Looking towards the future, what are your expectations for broadband and its growth in the Central Appalachian region? I'm gonna to try to stick with the next five years and. Now we can talk about 10, but in the next five years, hopefully we're gonna have a lot more fiber backbone throughout Virginia, multiple, multiple companies offering broadband. So we have a, a break of this monopolistic hold. A lot of the telecommunications companies do not like the competition that's coming from space-based broadband, whether it's Starlink or Amazon uh, with its copper system or OneWeb. Those are the three major companies that are looking to uh, offer space-based broadband in the near term. 
but I think there can be a seamless ubiquity among them, uh, certainly at a point post five years. Uh, I think we're going to see with space-based broadband, a new era in global telephony, uh, where you can, your cell phone can connect not only uh, to the constellation, you make global phone calls, but you, uh, if you have a Tesla, you'll be able to communicate with your car and, and the other auto manufacturers will get into that as well. Uh, I think we're going to see a proliferation of uh, the ability to use space-based broadband much more than we are locked into fiber. Now, this is a personal view, of course, but I think space-based broadband is much more enabling of new technologies, particularly sensors, uh, the internet of things, uh, whether it's on our refrigerator or car or advertising, whatever the case may be, than opposed to fiber uh, doing Wi-Fi umbrellas, if you will. But we're going to have both. And that's the beauty of it. When we have both, we have greater connectivity, we have higher speeds, we have market competition. And that may be a panacea that I see coming for the future. I don't know. But um, it's not going to be cheap in the short term. Uh, we're going to have to continue to have patience. Uh, I think that the uh, with the advent of uh, Web3 coming and uh, more of the metaverse and 3D and uh, virtual reality things coming, we're going to need more speed and more capability, uh, and certainly in rural areas where there is an equal playing field. Thank you for that, Mr. Kennedy. For those of you listening in or just joining, we just wrapped up a discussion with Clerk of Circuit Court Jack Kennedy. Our next guest is Dr. Christopher Alley. Dr. Christopher Alley is an associate professor in the Department of Media Studies at the University of Virginia and a Night News Innovation Fellow at the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia University. He is a nationally recognized expert on broadband policy and is the author of the new book Farm Fresh Broadband, The Politics of Rural Connectivity. Hello, Dr. Alley, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you are an expert on the politics of broadband access. How does the presence of broadband, or lack thereof, influence the political climate and ideologies of a location? Wow, that is a great question to start us off with. And the answer, to be perfectly honest, is we don't know. Um, we don't know how the presence or absence of broadband impacts the political the, a particular political ideology within a community. Um, we have seen, however, that the presence of broadband um, will uh, raise housing values, uh, will lower unemployment, will um, raise, uh, raise um, GDP, will raise student grades. The, the other thing that we do know is that the presence of broadband will also raise civic engagement, particularly with local officials. So while we do not know um, whether or not the presence or absence of broadband le leads to, for instance, a conservative or liberal ideology. We do know that we see more civic engagement with folks who are connected um, than uh, those who aren't. So does that mean that broadband access directly impacts political involvement in an area? Yes, it does. Um, so yes, the, the presence of, of, of broadband uh, does indeed impact um, kind of political participation, particularly at the local level. Uh, we see we do see a rise in civic engagement um, with particularly the communication with local elected officials. 
um, which can only be a good thing, right? The more people that we can have in, in, in political conversations, uh, I think particularly around the local level uh, is, is, is absolutely vital, especially for rural communities. When we think about things like rural economic development and, and rural development more generally, we want folks to be able to have a stake in their community and also be able to communicate with their elected leaders. Thank you, Dr. Alley. In the 2020 Virginia's gubernatorial election, education is one of the most important issues. A recent study conducted by Michigan State University and the Coelho Center shows that students with faster access to internet have an average GPA of 3.18, where students with only cell phone access have an average of 2.75. Is the access to broadband one of the leading factors behind the issue of education? And should it be treated more prevalently by politicians? I don't know if it's one of the most pressing issues, but it certainly has to be up there. It has to be on our shortlist. And here, here's the reason. The COVID-19 pandemic will not be, it will be one of the, probably the first of multiple times in which we are kind of forced to uh, uh, work remotely, study remotely, exist remotely for, for a while. And we learned during the pandemic exactly what you said, that, that, Kids, uh, 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 students with broadband will likely have a GPA higher than students without. That on its on, alone should ne necessitate a larger conversation along, around why we need broadband, why students need broadband for connectivity. We knew before the pandemic, for instance, that 70% of, of teachers assigned homework online. 70%, that's before we went 100% online. We can, you know, I bet you dollars to donuts that, you know, when, when the pandemic subsides enough for the country to be kind of entirely back in person, um, we're going to see that number only go up, right? And, and we, we also, therefore, need to make sure that we're meeting students where they are um, when it comes to technology and when it comes to access. Something that I really worry about when we think about broadband in education is what I call the, the uh, presumption of connectivity. Right when when educators simply assume that everybody in their classroom has uh, high speed, affordable, consistent connectivity, um, it, it it means that we're going to continue to disenfranchise those students who don't. And and this, by the way, is not just a K through twelve issue. This is also a university, a college, a post secondary issue. Um, a number of college students don't have access to a broadband connection when they go home rather than when they're on campus or on, on grounds, if we're talking about the University of Virginia. And so we need to be attentive to these issues, these issues of connectivity at all levels of education, not just K through 12. Earlier on the show, it was mentioned that Bill SB 724 will be in effect this summer. Do you feel that this is a step in the right direction for improving broadband act and education in the Central Appalachian region? Yeah, I do. Um, I think one, one of the things that has really stymied broadband deployment throughout the country, but particularly in Virginia, is that we don't know who is connected and underconnected, right? Um, because at the national level, uh, the Federal Communications Commission has kind of heretofore dropped the ball, so to speak, on broadband mapping, kind of um, uh, done so at the, uh, you know, uh, in a way that tends to favor connectivity rather than un and under connectivity. So anytime we can develop a more granular understanding of who is un and under connected, um, I can only see it as a good thing. Now, I will caveat this by saying that all of the Infrastructure Act money, the uh, $65 billion for broadband deployment, equity, and affordability, um, including the $42 billion for broadband deployment, will not be making use of state maps. 
They will be making use of the federal map de developed by the Federal Communications Commission. So as much as we're seeing states and state agencies develop really great broadband maps, and um, we actually have a broadband map act uh, here in Virginia that is gonna compel the Virginia Broadband Office to, to do a statewide map and, and, and Georgia and Minnesota are a bit of the leaders here on, on state mapping. Um, we need to also make sure that the Federal uh, Communications Commission is developing their maps as granularly and, uh, and as detailed as possible to ensure that when you know, this huge amount of money coming from the infrastructure package is eventually uh, deployed, that we know precisely who is un and underconnected everywhere in this country. Thank you, Dr. Alley. Does a lack of broadband and its impact on education lead to more political misinformation for people in that area? I don't, I actually don't know. What I, what I can say is that some reports from a study I recently did of um, an unconnected county in Virginia, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave the county uh, nameless uh, for the purposes of, of anonymity, but we looked at one of the least connected counties um, in the Commonwealth, but also a county that does not have access to local news and information. There is no local newspaper, there's no radio stations, there's no TV stations. So one of our questions was, where do you get information? Um, without access to the internet, without access to kind of um, mainstream mainstream media. And we found, like, for us, really fascinating uh, results, one of which was um, the kind of reemergence of word of mouth conversation. And, you know, when, when we asked folks, where do you get information from, folks are telling us, well, you know, from my neighbors. Um, we also saw some centralization around folks who did have connectivity. So those few folks that were connected became kind of these opinion leaders uh, throughout throughout this county. The other thing we found, though, was an incredible amount of digital sophistication in this county among managing connectivity. So, for instance, if all you had was your cell phone, um, you know, and you had to manage a data cap, for instance, folks were incredibly sophisticated on when and when not, when and when not they would use data, for instance, or when they would, uh, you know, have kids do homework and how they would structure their day um, in order, uh, basically, around the connectivity that they had. And this is what we need, you know, we, we need to make sure that everybody has connectivity so, they, so that the day is not literally structured. Folks aren't staying up until two, three, four o'clock in the morning because that's when they can get better downloads for schoolwork or, you know, just even enjoy a movie or be able to download documents for work. Um, so we, you know, and so that was really interesting for us. So there is a, obviously a hunger, not only for news and information, but for connectivity as well. And we're seeing communities and counties go to incredible lengths in order to connect and inform themselves. And we can make it so much easier on them. Policymakers can make it so much easier on them. Providers can make it so much easier on them so that this doesn't have to happen. On behalf of my co-hosts, we would like to thank Dr. Christopher Alley and Clerk of Circuit Court Jack Kennedy for coming on the show today, as well as Dr. Heather Evans for giving us this opportunity. More importantly, we would like to thank anyone who tuned in to listen to us today. Hi again, everyone. This is Heather Evans, once again, wanting to say thank you for listening to Red, White, and Confused. If you missed any segment of the program today, you can catch up anytime by podcast. If you go over to Spotify, if you go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you go to grab your podcasts, you can find us. And uh, we also are on the air on Thursdays at 6 and Sundays at 1. I hope everyone has a great week. <laughs>